You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis-friendly marketing agency. Welcome. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, marketing director for Studio 420. Today we explore why hotels are the perfect fit for a cannabis smoking lounge. We will meet Chris Chiari, the owner of Denver's 420 Hotel, and learn how he plans to monetize the lounge as an amenity to the hotel, how it will operate, and his vision to expand the concept across the country. Let's meet Chris. Nice to meet you. Me too. <laughs> Great. So, um, how would you describe who your past and present guests are, where they come from? Patterson Inn has been in operation for nine years. I took it over and bought it just shy of four years ago now. I actually tried to buy the building 11 years ago and got beat out by the previous owners by two weeks. Hmm. Uh, my intention then, intention now, is turning into a marijuana bed and breakfast. But the most discernible guests that I've had over my almost four years of operation are mostly parents of younger people that live within walking distance of the property. Uh, I kind of advertise this as the guest room of Capitol Hill in Denver. Mm. Boutique hotel, old historic structure, but a more modern interior, upgraded bathrooms, uh, duvets, but, but we steam white sheets every day. And so it's a very fresh, very clean, very boutique presentation compared to a bed and breakfast, which sometimes we'll have. I like to ask the guests, right? We're a doily free property. Usually in bed and breakfast, you see doilies. And in my property, we don't have any doilies. So we're more boutique hotel. And so we've attracted uh, a more sophisticated 50 plus audience over the history of the property. Uh, that's only grown. Uh, that is, again, like I said, my most discernible guest. On the other side, uh, the house does have a long history and narrative. Uh, local historic society did a recent presentation on the history and architecture of the haunted house. There's a reason why Victorians often get this badge of honor or dishonor, and the Patterson Inn is renowned as being uh, purported to be haunted. So I can't dismiss that a measurable percentage of my guests uh, come for that experience. Mm. Both curious to see if it's true, as well as armed the skeptic with their tools to demystify or rationalize their way through any unexpected bump in the night. Oh, funny. They come with tools like to, to find, seek out. I said the other day, I am the beneficiary of everyone's passion and belief and story that they're um, pre-informed of as they walk in. And I am also the beneficiary of everyone's skepticism and rationalization uh, because the, I see both the believers and the non-believers and uh, the couples that are both. Is it, is it something you've experienced? I am honest that my opinion on this topic has modified and matured over the four years of ownership because, again, uh, these stories or common reoccurring experiences the guests share, especially in particular rooms, has enough consistency that I can't dismiss it. Mm. On the same note, uh, I came in, you know, we all wonder. Um, I have had my experiences in the house, um, two that, well, three that I can't explain and one that I can. Uh, but I won't because it's also part of the experience for guests. You figure it out on your own. Oh, cool. <laughs> but I, I will say that my very first interaction in the house was March 7th of 2011. And I walked up to the property. I pointed up to the house. It was abandoned at the time. It looks haunted. 
It's a castle, a red French chateau-esque uh, uh, castle, Victorian house sitting apparently on a hill in the neighborhood, uh, lit. It has a real street, a, a, a real curb appeal. If you go to pattersonin.com, you'll see mm -hmm. the house there is the first picture. And I pointed up to the house. The address was over the door already, 420. It had been there for quite some time. And I said then, March 7, 2011, I want to turn you into a marijuana bed and breakfast. I mean, that's just amazing. Now, I will tell you that I heard a woman's voice like she was sitting on my shoulder, and I don't know what this audience is, so I'll beat myself, but she told me to get off the effing grass. And that's my first experience with the house as I'm making this declaration that I'm going to turn this into a marijuana bed and breakfast. Now, maybe, possibly, likely, it was a tenant in the apartment building right next door that heard my ridiculous affirmation to the property and was trying to, you know, give me, um, again, in her mind, rational advice at the time. Right. I didn't take it. I missed out on the house by two weeks, never let go. I moved to Denver two years later, now over nine years ago, mm -hmm. own a different Victorian that you're seeing that I'm sitting in now as my home, also from 1899, and saw that the Patterson Inn was back on the market four years ago. I have never wavered on my desire to follow through and, and, and deliver to market legally licensed cannabis hospitality that has been my ambition for over a decade now. Knowing the restrictions that you could only consume cannabis in private residence, I bought a beautiful home. It's my office. It's my home. And then at least as part of inviting people into my home, I've held infused events, political fundraisers, where cannabis has been present. I never smoked in front of an elected official who wasn't comfortable with it, uh, but made sure they all sat back and watched me roll a joint before they left. Mm because it normalizes it. That was the goal. If we're doing the things we're already used to doing, holding a glass of wine, talking in a political space in a private home around a political fundraiser, but it's present and engaged and we're talking about cannabis, that was the goal. And so in my nine years in the state, I have been very involved in, in our political process around building relationships. And I am really excited. I personally live in the state of Colorado and live in a state that does have participants in how we govern who do and, and, and also seems like it would be a good experiment having all these events in home just to kind of test out what does these kind of events look like absolutely i you wasn't know. so much testing i just knew that i wanted to engage in all of these activities of community development and building and relationship building and how we conduct ourselves as part of our community but i wanted to do it with a joint in my hand mm -hmm. and i've and yeah, then, how, so, how, how do we have dinners like that? Pairings, infused, how do people react in the I open? Have done pairings, have done infused because, so when we get to the talk about specifics of cannabis hospitality, of course you can't infuse on site, but in a private residence, it's the place where that experience can be cultivated, curated and executed. I'm surprised more people haven't taken advantage of that. So many states around their regulations really do provide an opportunity, especially if you're not charging for it. If you're doing it as, you know, you bring in a chef and you create this experience for your friends. Um, it's really a great way to get that infused cannabis experience that is really accessible to way more of the market than I think people realize. Getting it normalized. Um, so... Yeah. As far as your transition from the inn to the uh, 420 hotel, currently you position it as a luxurious, stately boutique, serene, historical landmark. Um, how will the messaging change or the perception, the branding, uh, once you transition into a cannabis-friendly hotel? 
we are a serene, uh, beautiful, old, historic boutique hotel with one of the most exciting and unique amenities available in hospitality today. It was very important. I think that there is a need in the market for a multitude of products. I think hospitality shows a diverse range of price points, experience levels that are available to customers. And that is true even as we move into cannabis hospitality. The world doesn't change, it's an addition. For me, I believe that we have an unaddressed segment of the market. We've legalized, we have this now rolling across the country, but social consumption by and large in virtually every jurisdiction was always excluded from legalization. We'll figure that out later. And figuring out later takes a process. In Colorado, it's taken eight years. We've been recreational for eight years. The state passed this well over a year ago, it was actually back in 19. But the city of Denver, one of the, because it requires through a strong local control, local ordinance, a Denver finally responded and put forward what is now this path to licensing back in April of this year. Uh, sorry, April of 2021. The first day applications were accepted was the morning of uh, November 11th of 2021. I know that because at six o'clock in the morning, the portal opened and I was there sitting in front of my computer, filling in my application and applying. Uh, that was the first moment that this could happen. And right now I still am the first of now four total applicants that's moved into a set date for the public hearing, which is the end of February. Are they all hotels? No, I'm uh, right now by all measures, though there are operators in the country that are earning media right now about claiming a cannabis friendly environment. In fact, it looks like I am the first hotel owner operator to actually secure what's sitting over my shoulder, which is a state legally licensed conditional license for cannabis consumption on site in a commercial business. And you know, I, I really think that hotels will be the ones to it make consumption lounges make the most sense in hotels to me right now to launch that with the current laws in most states that you can't mix alcohol and cannabis um, and if you can't do that how are you supposed supposed to monetize the business you but just it, caught the the key because i've but, talked to a lot of operators everyone's trying to figure out what does a sustainable and revenue producing model look like around cannabis hospitality and even if you go with the bar model the buy the gram the buy the dab option matched with food and beverage uh you're still likely to not see the kind of cash flow or revenue you do from alcohol because someone might drink two or three drinks but the likelihood that someone's going to purchase the second or even third pre-rolled cannabis product diminishes pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. and, and so when you model that out, it, it's, it's hard to predict that revenue. Um, everyone's saying and was complaining to Denver that we're looking at this early on, that you're not giving us a business model that works, but it is not jurisdiction, local government, state government, federal government's responsibility to create business models that work. They create what they're gonna do. They do their process. Sometimes it sucks, but it provides a path then if you can model through that to explore paths. And for me, my revenue is overnight heads and beds hospitality. You ask me what I am, I am on the verge of becoming a four-star boutique hotel. Uh, we're bed and breakfast because we're under 10 rooms. We'll be yeah. boutique because we're on a path to add two more rooms to get to 11. For me, it wasn't just about adding cannabis and saying, oh, look, we have weed in the hotel now. It's about presenting to market a sophisticated overnight hospitality experience paired with something that is legal, 
and something that is licensed. So I call it, it's a unique amenity. And so you caught it. My revenue, my business is heads and beds overnight hospitality. My amenity of on-site cannabis consumption provides an opportunity to differentiate my business from a competitor, provides an opportunity to reach out in an advertising world to identify and speak to a new potential customer that right. stands out and will stand out in the near term, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's why I think hotels are perfect to launch this in the current state, because until the lawmakers loosen that up and let us combine and the beverage the you know, the, the, the infused beverage industry catches up and, you know, you can install that. It, it makes complete sense to add, add it as an amenity to stand perfect. out. It's perfect. I, yeah. But which hotels? Because that's now the question, right? Large hotel chains are unlikely to touch this right now because you still have the banking federal issues around what is this business? Yeah. Uh, there are still restrictions or, uh, or access points to how licensing works to get into these spaces. Um, and honestly, like, we're now five months in, four months in since applications dropped and there's not another hotel. Uh, you're hearing again conversations about people trying to create accessibility or access across the country. I love it when I hear about Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, people always say, well, they're letting you smoke cannabis anywhere you can smoke a cigarette. And I ask this question, where exactly can you smoke a cigarette in any of those oh. states? Right, where and even if you can outside, even if you can on the sidewalk, great. But the goal here and the purpose, the business I'm trying to build is a place indoors, mm -hmm. a place that is legal, a safe sanctuary space. Well, I already told you my most discernible customer, 50 plus up, usually parent, child in the neighborhood. I've asked everyone since I bought my property, I go to happy hour, we chat, we talk, right? It's part of that experience and relationship building. And I always ask guests if they notice the address over the door because I've spent the last decade plus of my life engaged in this space, I uh, lean into a cannabis conversation, not to persuade, but to um, entice a conversation that is not always my answer. And in often cases will we'll carry either some stigma that we can talk about or concern that I can enrich my business model because I'm hearing uh, before launching what these concerns are. My intention is with my property to maintain our relationship with our current guests, with our current audience, that we are a beautiful, stately, old, Victorian, spectacular, historic property to stay in. And then on top of that, also be able to attract or address this uh, gap in the market, which is legalization has occurred, but no legal place to consume. So we leave and force tourists to make wrong decisions, illegal decisions, the only decision which is to smoke outside, which is not allowed in Colorado, or to smoke in a park, or to smoke in their car, or to sneak out and try to do it at a bar or a restaurant. And of course, right, cannabis consumers, the cannabis consumer will smoke or a cannabis consumer will smoke. I'm not a 200-room property. I'm not trying to say, hey, everyone who smokes weed wants to stay in my hotel. What I'm saying is that I already have a great established core customer and I do believe that this 50 plus audience that is traveling here with a great degree of curiosity about cannabis are not engaging because these are the individuals that want to see security of legality. They want to know that they are in a place conducting themselves in an upright and legal way. And at 11 rooms, nine rooms going to 11, I think I'm the right size then uh, to serve and satisfy that market. 
and leave room for someone else to explore whether or not it works in a 200 plus. So what are, what are some concerns that you're hearing from, from your regulars in the community about? Odor, odor's a common, someone who is not a consumer would likely based off what I've, I've heard from my you know, non-scientific, um, non-peer reviewed poll, uh, that, that the odor, the odor would be a detractor. Um, the good news there is the lounge is in a separate part of the building uh, by code and requirement will have extensive ventilation. And then by design with the architects and the engineers that I hired, I told them that I want both the active uh, ventilation system of moving fresh air in and exhausting out, which will carbon filter for odor in the neighborhood as well as having passive and other active um, air ventilation at each almost smoking area so that we are, if you think of a number of restaurant concepts that have come out where you cook at your table where it creates smoke, those concepts also include variable fans built into the tables so that at the point of production, they are also adding a layer of filtration. So the intention is not to create a really smoky place already, and certainly to make sure that any smoke from that room. So how do you get into the lounge? You're gonna be a guest of the hotel, an annual member, or a guest of a member, or a guest of a, a guest of the hotel. You'll buy the day pass, you'll get a key to a swipe door, you'll go through that door just to go down a flight of stairs, just to go to a window to show your ID, where you'll then gain mm -hmm. access into the lounge. A lot of this is by code, of what's required. They are basically regulating cannabis hospitality locations right now, whether you sell it or not, as though they are in a sense from the outside, like a cannabis business or a dispensary from very tight age control to opaque to the street outside. Uh, so a great degree of restrictions. Um, and we're working with that because it actually speaks to what I'm trying to create, that feeling of exclusivity, that feeling of access as you move in, and then you're going to walk into a space that's very sophisticated. So it won't feel like you're just in yeah. uh, a game spot or a, or a lower end bar. It's meant to be that sophisticated lounge you'd see in a larger hotel, but in this case, it'll be off to the side and be sophisticated to complement and pair so with cannabis consumption. So odor will be very controllable from that standpoint. So that's the biggest, even in a community meeting I was on last mm -hmm. night, that was the number one question was how am I going to protect the neighbors? And I told them, we're gonna carbon filter everything coming out. In the same way we now see in fast food restaurants across America, they now cap, exhaust, and scrub the exhaust from those restaurants, both for odor and for smoke. We're gonna do the same thing oh, here. Yeah, the, I the lounge. would think that's the number one problem. Um, but, you know, I'm always trying to envision, think about, yeah, why would I go to a lounge? And I think that's another good reason for hotels to kind of launch this whole consumption lounge is because I, why would I go somewhere out of my home to hang out with someone to smoke or consume somehow if I can't have a drink or even, I mean, I, I think I read that you'll do mocktails and things like that. We will have food and beverage. We are going to have a light snack Ooh. and tavern menu. Um, I'm already having converse, uh, had a conversation with the chef recently and we'll have more. Um, if you've been to Amsterdam, it's a really great product. It's one of, it's related to one of the coffee shops, but it's a restaurant, restaurant where you can consume cannabis. Whether or not we'll ever go full food, I'm not sure at the moment, but we do intend, so we are a bring your own cannabis location. So we will not sell cannabis, mm -hmm. but no outside food or drink. 
So when you come into the lounge, our price point is both our day pass and our membership fees, as well as the food and beverage opportunities of, of its occupancy, plus special events. I do believe primarily the revenue from the, from, from the lounge will be because it is a unique amenity and does lead to a greater number of overnight room occupancy. Yeah. That's the goal. Right. Um, but then it does, it's not a stagnant space that doesn't produce revenue. But we've uh, already, my, my general manager uh, was an award-winning uh, um, mixologist out of Los Angeles mm. who came on board to help me open a tavern uh, that's attached to the hotel that is on the verge of opening to the public that is separate and isolated again in another wing of the building from the lounge. Um, but with that, he actually uh, was written up years ago for mocktails. So we've been working on a menu for a bit of time. Um, concentrated terpenes are proving to be dangerous. This is a conversation that's now emerging in the cannabis industry as we're refining to pure THC and then extracting terpenes and they're getting added back in. Uh, some people think you're just going to take those terpenes and put it in food. You're starting to see terpenes show up in beverages, but it's still a very unknown space and there is some mild or some potential cause for concern that hopefully proves to be untrue, but at the moment is at least being talked about as we move into this new space of these concentrated terpenes. But terpenes are naturally occurring food flavors. It's part of a smell. It's part of what attracts us to, to certain spices and flowers. And these botanicals mixed in and eaten in food form, whether it's blueberries, whether it's adding lemon or a twist of lemon to a beverage that would give you limine, these flavors, these terpenes naturally occurring in foods do have a purported history of complementing, enhancing, and in some cases, suppressing some strains of cannabis and some of the effects of cannabis consumption. And so with that in mind, it gives you room to create a menu that can still be fun. Uh, the new trend that started here in Denver, and they're talking about going national, is, a, is the sober bar where it's the outside experience of being in a bar, but there's no actual alcohol. Though it turns out there's nothing's over 0.505% because you still sometimes have to suspend a certain food extracts in alcohol. Um, but they're selling $13 mocktails. Mm. We certainly don't intend to be anywhere near a price point like that. Um, because again, at the end of the day, these become complements to being there. The amenity is where we're generating our revenue. So we're probably going to be more like 710 this, in the end of the day, my lounge is going to be a business. We turned in a very detailed health and sanitation plan to the city of Denver that was a requirement for the application process, which has already been reviewed and checked off on. That health and sanitation plan, we are looking at bongs, pipes, and cannabis consumable devices identical to single-use items like a pint glass. And a pint glass or a single-use bong or a pipe or some other apparatus then require some level of cleaning between use. And so cleaning and sanitation of these items, single use items is part of that plan because this commercial now, this is synonymous to restaurant bar and other professional licensed businesses. And so there is a requirement, right? To, to be proactive and develop policy and procedure that addresses uh, an important subject like health and sanitation. Another thing I was going to say that I, I think could really work in the hotel scenario um, for people who also want to have a drink is, you know, and this is what you do anyway, if you're in a bar, you're having a drink and you say, hey, let's go outside. 
you know, smoke a joint. And so instead of doing that, you're going to walk over to the carriage house. And so right now. And then maybe go back and have a drink. I have a hotel restaurant with a tavern license and a live entertainment license in Denver that's termed, termed as cabaret license. So these are the four professional licenses that are already attached to the hotel. Um, I recently started the process of transferring the ownership of the liquor license to a new corporate entity called 12 Spirits Tavern in honor of the purported 12 ghosts in the hotel. That business will operate exclusively out of the basement. The issue came down to a cannabis hospitality business can be adjacent to a licensed business that has a liquor license, but you don't have accessibility between the structure to the two locations. It can be a door, but only staff can access it. So what I'm doing is moving and removing the liquor license from the hotel restaurant so that the relationship between these licenses is not in conflict. And could have made a cannabis castle, would have been so much easier, but I longed 11 years ago and I am still determined to execute and bring to market, not just a weed destination, but a contribution to what is this normalization and destigmatization of cannabis. And so preserving and maintaining a tavern license in a 12,000 square foot nine going to 11 room hotel while also being able to carve out this very exclusive, sophisticated space for legally licensed cannabis hospitality, I believe is a model yes. that I intend to take to gateway cities across the country. I do own IP with that in mind already, about 50 IPs that all uh, have a common name for 50 plus cities in America and around the world. And I do see this as four-star hospitality, boutique uh, hospitality, converting underutilized event space to cannabis consumption, operating as a boutique hotel and continuing to operate as a boutique hotel while adding a unique amenity. Because most of the guests that I've talked to over my four, almost four years, most are not turned off by its existence or presence on the property, even if it's not their interest, mm. especially if it's done in a respectful way. A number though are intrigued, curious, and have expressed an opinion that a space like that would, would entice me in a way something else wouldn't. My guests, 50 plus, are not interested in going to a cannabis bar where many of the participants there will be um, experienced cannabis consumers out having a good time, partially because a novice consumer, someone who's curious, is unaware of the effect that cannabis will have on themselves and their body. Mm -hmm. In this case now, by being in a hotel, going back to, I think what you were alluding to before, by being in a hotel, you know, we already know that relationship between the front desk and the concierge and the guest. They know to come and ask questions when they want to know something. Right. My guests already, because of the address, come in curious. I have to be very clear and express that they cannot because they can't. My other professional licenses don't allow it. But that shifts with a lounge to a place where giving good advice, start low, go slow, make a good decision, maybe not consume, try this, don't try that, take five milligrams, not 50. These types of conversations and, oh, you had too much, here is a beverage that's heavy in a mango that will come and neutralize a great amount of that over intoxication. And here's a little bit of, uh, in, in Amsterdam, it's a Snickers bar and a little bit of soda. If 
overconsumption, right? Let's Amsterdam is a great model. The legality is very layered. It's mostly in the gray area. There's very few in the only place that you're actually, in a sense, legal or tolerated are in these licensed coffee shops. But especially foreigners coming in, especially individuals from illicit markets where the quality of the product in Amsterdam uh, exceeds by multiples. Yeah, it's uh, very common that you'll see a tourist overconsume, and uh, the the Dutch, the the coffee shop owners, have found solutions. They know uh, it's called Exdo Energy. The Dutch actually did research. It's almost like um, um, airborne or one of those other high vitamin rich uh, beverage mixes, but in a chewable pill form, and it, it's proven to neutralize the effects of cannabis within ten minutes. Mm. That would be good so, to have on hand in the hotel. <laughs> right. So in an experience amenity type space, yes, there is then this responsibility to think through what guest experience to the good and bad might be and have real solutions to help um, make sure people walk away with a good experience. Overconsuming and having no one to turn to has led to um, instances of people calling for an ambulance or going to the hospital. A famous uh, article in the Washington Post from Marine Dowd, she ate a thousand milligram chocolate bar and had a really, really horrible experience. Mm. Um, I don't want any guest to consume a hundred milligrams, let alone 25 milligrams, yeah. let alone 10, unless they've engaged in a conversation and feel comfortable and really do feel that the product we're trying to bring to market speaks to that and is designed to create that type of space uh, that does where it's leaps and bounds. I want what you want. I want a glass of wine or a bourbon and a joint. Mm -hmm. I cannot wait for that experience in the yeah. same place. I've, I've, we've, we've, we've probably been to events where we've, we've engaged like that. Not everyone can handle one or the other, let alone both. I understand That's then right. the version right now, uh, the world around to say, okay, let's let this happen in a stepping stone way. Um, but no less, I believe very strongly that there, whether you're traveling for business, traveling for romance, traveling to see your child that might be a couple blocks away, having the option or the choice for legal on-site cannabis consumption is a realistic and necessary uh, amenity both to the market and I think it's going to be a good compliment, certainly, to the size property that I have. Uh, yes, I think so, too. Um, so how will you supply your guests with cannabis? Well, good, I don't. Not at all. So okay. there were two options. Uh, one was the buy the gram model, where literally you produce, um, where literally you, you purchase from the wholesaler inventory and then dispense very much like a dispensary. Uh, that is one available model. It is dependent upon volume. It's a retail transaction then, does not provide the same margins that you'd get on alcohol at a bar, which is sometimes three to 400%. In fact, most transfers, retail, wholesale to retail happen at about 100% markup here in Colorado. So absolutely not like alcohol and wouldn't provide the same kind of revenue. The same note that if you sell it, you're then required like a bar. You ever walk into a bar and try to pull out a flask or an airplane or pl airplane bottle of vodka from your from your bag? Oh. <laughs> but you can't do that. No. And so if you are selling it and go, go for that license, then you are required to police the consumption of your guests mm. of anything they might have walked out of, uh, walked in with. 
And since my goal is to create a space where I can say, you can smoke this here, but you can't smoke that here, that second part doesn't fit into the message of hospitality. So I went with the consumption only, bring your own cannabis. I have uh, a half dozen dispensaries in that same five, six block radius of my hotel. Mm. I don't want to be the best place to come purchase cannabis. I'm the best place to sleep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the best place to sleep, the opportunity then to build relationships with brands, manufacturing food products, brands, where I can send you to multiple dispensaries, even relationships with these local dispensaries. So our guests get either a, a discount at the counter, maybe that access to a tour of a facility, build yes. relationship around cannabis experience that opens up. I'm not the competitor. I'm actually a customer yes. or a facilitator of the customer. So that was by design. And then volume. I have this beautiful old 1893 Victorian property. I am its caretaker. I love its history. I love its physical, the physical plant, the physical property. But this building couldn't handle the wear and tear of what would be required to operate this as a cannabis bar and give it a potential to truly cash flow and, and be a, a successful business. It goes back to our original conversation. Mm -hmm. As amenity only, I remove the hurdles of having to store it. I remove the hurdles of having to tell a guest they can't smoke what they brought in. I can create the barrier of no outside food and drink so I can protect the revenue. I can create the access through the door around fee, which some people are charging as high as $20 at other venues here in Colorado that were operating in the gray area. So at 420, I should absolutely be reasonable. Uh, that I've already been approached about what events could look like in there. That's a good fit. But at the end of the day, as the most exciting and unique amenity in hospitality today. I do believe I'll sell more room nights of my nine currently and soon to be 11 rooms. And that is the secret and heart of why I believe my model has a chance to foothold as we still move towards greater national and even uh, clearer legalization here in Colorado. And I'm sure as, as it all begins, it's just going to evolve and you're going to see the needs and you're going to change. So everything you're saying now is just great groundwork, but it'll be so interesting to see how, how it transforms and, you know, how people, how people gravitate towards it. Um, well, here's a, here's uh, a funny I, one. I, I can't let you smoke in your room. And the reason is uh, the, the rules say that a common consumption area or commercial consumption area must be vacated between 2 a.m. and 7 a.m. Well, 2 a.m. to 7 a.m. are kind of critical hours to overnight hospitality. So, <laughs> hey, thanks for checking in. Enjoy smoking in your room. Just make sure you're out by two and we'll see you at breakfast at seven. Really wasn't, I think, a viable business model. Um, so I am uh, forced somewhat by the rule and regulation. We did not make something where you can smoke it like a cigarette. Facts, we have even more rights because I'm going to be allowed to let people consume cannabis and light a joint indoors. So clearly this is now a carve out the Clean Indoor Air Act. Um, so it's, it's defined or at least a good portion of my business model uh, took direction from the letter of the law and the path forward that was provided. Wow. Okay. Yeah. There's so it's so tricky. Yeah. You have a lot to figure out. Well, I don't um, figure it out. I'm holding my state conditional license the a significant I had a rezone I would say that the um, the more dire hurdles have been cleared there are still hurdles I have my community um, public hearing still in front of me 
It's part of the process. Uh, so far, there has not been um, organized opposition that I'm aware of. Colorado and Denver specifically has been very supportive of these types of um, transformative moves with cannabis legalization, but it's still a very important part of the process and I will not and cannot dismiss it. Um, but significant hurdles of getting licensed by the state, getting a corporate entity that was a new entity that's gonna be the Colorado operator, as well as the out-of-state parent company that I formed for a future expansion potential that's already part of my structure. Uh, there are now five corporations total bundled in to make this work. Uh, and so that, that those hurdles have been cleared and we're now um, in what is the final step. When I bought the hotel, I didn't know how far away I'd need to be from an overlapping restriction. The city hadn't formalized that yet. It ended up being a thousand feet. The day after the city finally formalized that, I did hire a survey company and did be, I was able to prove suitability for the property. I am a thousand feet or more from any overlapping restriction. Uh, so that was again, part of the process. But you don't go in to find the answer until you know what question you need to ask. And so that's also dictated the timeline and the pace that this is all rolled out. Um, but day one, November 11th, public hearing is now only two weeks away. Mm. So um, can't really get any closer than this. Wow. Okay. I, I know. I just, you're, you're literally paving the way for the rest of the hotel industry to enter this eventually. Um, and I'm available for hire. Oh, the rest of the hotel. Um, I do but see, I went to a hotel conference in Philly a couple months ago and really fascinating group of individuals, number of them hotel investors. And even if their personal views of the world leaned more liberal on topics like this, one and the same, they said, hotels are conservative investment businesses. And there was a very clear aversion because of what doing this in one place could do to risk the rest of a business. Does Hyatt get in this right now? Because when Disney yeah. bought ABC and ABC was a brand that was comfortable engaging the social topics of the day, Disney as a family company lost. We saw it here with hotels filing RICO cases against dispensaries in Colorado Springs in Southern Colorado several years ago. So there's still conflict there. Mm -hmm. And even the places that say, oh, we're cannabis friendly say, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. you got over, over there, over there. Oh, you oh. saw that line in the dirt or property line. Please just go right across that. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, oh, can you go oh, down? Go on those fields. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go on those fields. And you can't get away from that until you earn a path to do that, a path to execute that. And that path through almost every jurisdiction in this country is done through business licensing. Yes, right. But but also you're just setting up the, the template. You know, you're really working out the vision too. I feel scalable. I, I say when you see the Patterson Inn, if you haven't gone to pattersonin.com yet, please do. When you see the property, what I saw 11 years ago was a house with curb appeal, a property that had a story that it told and tells long before I tell mine. And that the opportunity then on a property fortuitously with 420 over the door uh, to be the keystone for my brand. That's what I saw. The Patterson mm -hmm. Inn, the 420 Denver, which is the first location of the 420 Hotels Inc. is not our flagship. This will not be the biggest property I intend to bundle under this brand, but it is our keystone mm -hmm. where I'm taking four-star overnight hospitality, 
that's sophisticated, well-regarded, and highly regarded, and pairing it with an exciting and unique amenity. Right, it is. Wow, that's great. Um, so just as far as like the entertainment, I know you, you said that you, people have approached and you're thinking of different entertainment that might attract people into the, into the lounge. Like, in, what, what do you see in there? Um, I first off see a place for guests um, and hopefully members. I kind of pitch the, well, I do, I pitch this as Soho House of Cannabis. Uh, Soho House is a, is a brilliant and successful brand built on the private club model. In my case, first and foremost, I'm a hotel. And then private club, which has mostly waned across the country, except a few opportunities that emerge that are unique. I'm building this private club type model then around cannabis hospitality. So we will have an annual membership card. This gives you privileges of coming to the front door of the hotel. You'll still be required to make a reservation. But if you're an annual member, you can come for breakfast in the lounge. You can get it right. So if you like Soho House, the space then can offer food and beverage opportunities, but also a sophisticated place to meet, to co-work from, to telework from. Now that we are learn earning the luxury of working from anywhere, how many people do you know work in a coffee shop? Mm. Would we potentially offer a similar environment with great Wi-Fi and a place to consume cannabis and for a digital nomad professional to bring in clients? I see it working like that. As far as evening content, we're going to screen my movie. I'm an award-winning producer for a film called Public Enemy Number One, pinofilm.com, uh, executive produced by Ice-T. It's my project. Uh, I was sitting under the tree in my backyard smoking a joint seven years ago. And I said, I'm going to tell us a make a movie about the war on drugs. I tried to do production work in my 20s. When I got the melanoma, doctor said, don't make long-term plans. And that was one of the plans I let go by the wayside. Mm. Um, but the film, I'm proud of it, proud of the work we did. Like I said, it won the Seattle Film Festival in 2020 and won Best Producer at Doc LA when we premiered in October of 2019. The, I think just the last question I, I would ask is, you're technically considered a bed and breakfast, mm -hmm. but you are planning to add more rooms to become a boutique hotel. Does this, is how, why did, are you going that route and did that have anything to do with the lounge? So if you look at the property, you'll see a 9,000, roughly 9,000 square foot or almost 10,000 square feet on the left, the larger building, it looks like three stories is actually four with the basement and then a smaller structure on the right, which is the carriage house. The two structures are offset by half a floor and easier when I was first plotting out how I was going to convert this carriage house into a lounge, easier would have been to try to do a lounge on the first floor, keep the upstairs basically how it is. And I was looking at an event space, community room, maybe a, a, the, the place for a screening because of big high ceilings and then a massage room so that I could book it out or, or provide Ooh. that service both to guests and then modeled it and realized that for this to work, I'd really need multiple events a day needed no less than 40 or 50 people moving through there on a daily basis, mm -hmm. mostly just to justify the space upstairs, not even the lounge below. And then I started thinking foot traffic, impact the team I have, impact the team will bring in. And then I brought in the architect and the architect goes, oh, Chris, we're offset by half a floor. So in fact, if we take away the full flight staircase and what you want to use in your lounge, and put a half flight staircase where the stairs come down to your lounge, it opens up the second floor and it opened up the opportunity then the addition of guest rooms because I am not a cannabis event space. My business is not cannabis events. My business 
is overnight beds and beds hospitality. And by adding the two rooms, I get two benefits, more inventory of my primary offering and product, and more importantly, the uh, uh, improvement, expansion, and uh, development up from boutique, from bed and breakfast to boutique hotel. Okay, cool. All right, well, I think that is perfect. I really learned a lot. Thank you so much. <laughs> it was really great to have you on. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.